fresh every Tuesday for MSPs around the world. This is Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the show. Here's what's coming up for you this week. It's not news to them. You know, they are wise to the fact that they are behind the curve. But instead of, you know, God, what are we doing wrong? The MSPs are seeing it as an opportunity to offer services that we don't before. That's Schweb Lair from As A Service. He's running an outsourced help desk for MSPs all around the world. And I'm going to talk to him in this week's show about the differences in MSPs in lots of different countries. They are subtly different and Shreb will tell us what those differences are later on. We're also going to be talking about the need for a business mum. I believe every MSP should have a business mum. What is this person and what's that role actually all about? I'll reveal all later on in the show. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. So over the last couple of episodes of the podcast, we've kind of done a mini series without me really intending to, because we're talking about where to find a phone person, someone who can make outbound phone calls on your behalf so that you don't have to. Two weeks ago in episode 136, we talked about where to find a phone person. And then in last week's show 137, we talked about their calling setup. Today, it's almost the most difficult thing. Who should they call and what should they say? Well, actually, there's some very easy answers to those questions. Let's start with who they should call, because the temptation is to say everyone, just call absolutely everyone. But, you know, that's cold calling. And I know we've had people on this podcast. In fact, Brian Gillette, a sales expert, just a few weeks ago talking about his system for cold calling. And that's fine. And that probably suits people like Brian. But for ordinary people like you and me, cold calling is just horrendous. No one wants to do cold calling. It's just a horrible thing to do. So instead, it's always better to start with warm calling. What's warm calling? It's calling someone when you've got an existing relationship with them. And that existing relationship could be as simple as they get your emails or they're connected to you on LinkedIn. But these are the first people that your phone person should call. Literally get them working through your CRM, your customer relationship manager. Get them working through your hundreds or thousands of LinkedIn connections and that's the greatest place for them to start. In fact, that in itself could keep them busy for a number of weeks or months. And when we say warm connections, yes, I know that that's not particularly warm, but it's a lot warmer than just calling someone that you found on Google. So I would certainly start there. Now, when they run out of those people, and they will run out of them at some point, the next thing they should do should be to work through groups of potential prospects in your area. So for example, let's say you're targeting CPAs, accountants, you would get someone and this could be the phone person or it could be a virtual assistant researching on their behalf. You would get them to Google all of the CPAs in your area, find out who the decision makers are, get their phone numbers and call those people. Because once you've made two or three phone calls to a CPA, it then becomes really easy to just make more phone calls to the same kind of person. This was a trick I learned back in my last business where we only worked with veterinarians vets, dentists, and opticians. And my phone people, it was kind of easy to train them what those people were like. You know, we've discovered, for example, there's no point trying to call dentists unless it's lunchtime or it's the end of the day because they're always 
drilling people's teeth. Whereas veterinarians typically have a burst of activity in the morning and then will have more time available, you know, from mid-morning through to the afternoon uh, and, and so on. So you get to learn what people's working patterns are like. So if you were targeting CPAs, it would make sense to call all the CPAs in one go. And then you could repeat that for all of the lawyers and then all of the manufacturers and so on and so on and so on. The reality is you will never ever run out of people to call. There's always another lead or another prospect out there somewhere. Now talking about leads, one other thing that you could do to generate slightly more warmed up people to call is just spend money on traffic. In fact, you might spend money trying to send people to your website to download your guide or get your buyer's guide or you know join your email list by you giving away some kind of ethical bribe, which is a thing you give away like a book that you give away to people in order to persuade them to join your email list. Or maybe the smart move is to spend money building up your LinkedIn connections. And maybe you say, right, we're never going to call anyone that's completely cold. What we're going to do instead is we're going to do a whole ton of marketing work to try and build very early, very low level relationships with people and then we'll call them. So you might attempt to connect to, let's say, 20 people a day. You might make two or three new connections a day and that's enough. That's enough for your phone person. They can call those new connections uh, a week or so after you've connected to them. And with that and callbacks and just, you know, your other databases, that might be enough to keep a part-time remote phone person busy working just two to three hours a day, two to three days a week. So the final question then is what should they say? Well, this is where hiring the right person absolutely comes in because I'm not a big fan at all of telesales scripts. Now I do give a telesales script to my MSP Marketing Edge members because I want them to have like a framework, a guideline. In fact, that's what it is. It's not really a script as such. It's a framework of how you'd want the call to go. But if you give a tight script to a telephone person, then they're gonna to stick to the script. And what they're gonna lose is their natural ability to have a conversation with someone. Don't get me wrong, you don't want your telephone people sitting on the phone for 20 minutes having a good old natter with someone, but you do want them to be warm, you want them to engage, and critically, you want the person that they're calling to engage with them. You see, you have to remember that people only buy when they're ready to buy. And because they are uneducated buyers, they don't know much about technology. They're not making a decision with their brain. This is not a cognitive thing. They are making a decision with their emotions. Their heart is picking your MSP or rejecting your MSP. So if you can get your phone person to engage with them on the phone right at the very beginning of this process, the chances of you actually turning them into a client is dramatically higher, which is really, really exciting. So guess what I'm saying here is higher interesting people who like chatting on the phone and then don't load them up with a script, load them up with some open questions. For example, let's say, let's say you get a call. Let's say someone calls you and they jump straight into a pitch about their business. You don't care. You're not interested in that. Maybe you just put the phone down on them or maybe you'd be one of those people that just doesn't listen uh, and does carries on doing some other job before you tell them, actually, I'm not interested. Now, compare that experience to if someone phones you up and gets hold of you and they actually then start asking you about your favorite subject. And what's your favorite subject? Well, it's you. 
It's you and your business. And that's the key to this. Load your phone person with open questions they can ask about their business and not necessarily about technology. You know, you could jump in with, hey, how are things going for you guys at the moment? Uh, where are we? We're in the summer. So you could say, um, what's summer trading like for you? Do, do you see an up and down throughout the year? I mean, you wouldn't ask this as the opening question, but these are the kinds of exploratory questions where you get someone talking about their business. The goal is engagement and a good phone person is going to listen to the answers and ask follow-up questions. That's why it's dangerous to give them a script because they won't be listening. They'll just be waiting for the talking to stop so they can ask the next question. You want to get them to eventually work their way within two to three minutes to asking this direct question, which is, hey, do you guys have an IT support company or an IT support partner that you use? Actually, just one note on using the word partner. I know we're in our world, we're all very keen on using the word partner and partnerships are absolutely what we should be striving for. But when you say the word partner to ordinary businesses out there, it can be a little bit confusing, especially right at the beginning of the selling process of the relationship building process. So I would just stick with, hey, do you guys use an IT support company or what, what kind of IT support do you guys have? What your phone person is attempting to do after they've got them a little bit engaged is they are attempting to find out if they're currently using someone and then they're attempting to find out when the contract's up and what they think of their current IT support. And there's a really good question you can ask to find this out. This is the question. On a scale of one to 10, where one is appalling and 10 is la amazing, what score would you give to your current IT support company? And if they answer 10, nine or eight, there's no opportunity for you here. Politely end the call, move on. You could keep in touch with those people, put them on your email list, but there's not a huge amount of opportunity there for you. Now, if they answer seven, six, or maybe even five, there's a huge opportunity for you there because that's a level of dissatisfaction. That's actually a relatively low score and it indicates that there's some distress there, that there's not perhaps the levels of happiness that you would hope to see in a relationship with a client. And then of course, four or below is, is urgent. You know, there's some deep, deep levels of distress. And from here, your phone person can follow up with uh, an open question again, such as, wow, that's a, that's a really low score. I I don't hear people scoring their IT company that low that often. Can I ask, what is it that's caused you to give them such a low score? That's that open question. It's a great question. Let me say it again. What is it that's caused you to give them that low score? Because it could be a short term thing, like they might have just had a major crisis this week but actually long-term, it's not affected the relationship. Or it could just be long-term. And your, your phone person's looking out for people saying things like, oh, you know, that the service levels have gone down. They don't really seem to pick up the phone that often. You know, it's quite hard to get hold of someone. Basically, people leave MSPs with their emotions just as they join new MSPs with their emotions. Very few people leave your MSP or indeed any MSP because of big things. They don't sit there and say, oh, the, uh, the, the tech stack wasn't right. They just didn't have the right tech stack. Ordinary people don't talk like that. What they do is they say things like, it seems to take ages to get through to anyone or they never pick up the phone. It's the little things that kill clients, not the big things. So it's the little things that your phone person is looking for because they need to leverage that to book that 15 minute appointment with you. Listen, we've been talking about this for three episodes now. It's such an important resource that you can have within your MSP. And remember something I said earlier, people only buy when they are ready to buy. 
The phone person gives you an unfair advantage of finding out when that is so that you can start a proper conversation with them at exactly the right moment. Here's this week's clever idea. Before I set up my MSP marketing business in 2016, I owned another marketing agency. And that was, that was kind of like a proper marketing agency with an office and staff. In fact, at its peak, we had 15 staff in that building. And one of the most important people in that business was Miranda. Now, Miranda's role, she was actually a phone person. She, she was the senior of, I think we had a team of four at our peak. So we had four phone people phoning uh, the thousands thousands of people on my email database and attempting to book appointments for our salespeople. And Miranda was kind of like the unofficial leader, just because she was the most experienced and the most pleasant of all of those people to deal with. But that wasn't actually Miranda's critical role to the business. Her critical role was acting as the business mom. You see, that business attracted lots of young people. We, we had writers, you know, uh, internet people, like, what do you call them, website designers, that's it. We had, I did know what we did, honestly. Uh, we had lots of young people within the business. So people, late teens, you know, early 20s, lots of recent graduates. And the vast majority of our staff were young and at the beginning of their careers. Whereas Miranda was, at the time, I'm guessing late, late 40s, maybe early 50s. Apologies if that's offensive, Miranda, if I've offended you in some way because I wouldn't want to because you were great and the reason you were great was you acted as a mum to a lot of the younger people in that business and maybe you have an office with staff hanging around and maybe you've got younger staff as well and maybe just maybe you need to have a parent to look after them now here's the thing I believe that as employers us and our staff have a bit of a parent-child relationship anyway you are dad or mum. And even if your staff are just a little bit older than you, you can still have a bit of a parental relationship with them. Just think about the relationship you have with your staff and you realise that there is a certain level of that. And uh, Sometimes staff can act like children. They do stupid things and they don't think when they're doing stuff just like kids. But anyway, that's a subject for a different podcast. So on top of the relationship, the parental relationship that you have with them, I do think there is an important role for someone somewhere just to kind of look out for them. So Miranda would do things like, well, we, we had a break room. You know, one of our rooms in the building was, we, did we have like a ping pong table? It was a long time ago. We had things, you know, things like a ping pong table or a, an air hockey or um, table football or something like that. And obviously, you know, there was a, like a fridge with Diet Coke in it and snacks and stuff like that. All the kind of things that staff like. And Miranda, through not being asked, but just naturally, because because of her, I guess her motherly instincts would sit in that break room and people would come in and they'd, they'd just chat to her. She was very easy to talk to, which is why she was one of our phone people. And they would just tell her about their problems. And of course, them being in their early 20s, their problems mostly revolved around dating, money or dating. I think that was pretty much what she talked to them about. But she was there to act as a mum. She was an unofficial mum for them. And I didn't realise how important that role is, especially when you've got younger people. If you think back to what you were like in your 20s, well, I think what I was like in my 20s and what a nightmare I was. I don't, I genuinely don't think I grew up until I was 30. And in fact, uh, I had, well, I got married at 30, 29, 30, something like that, and had a child at 35. And obviously having children really matures you. In fact, that's when my hair started to go grey. But I think back to my 20s and I was, I was a very 
not mature, I wouldn't say immature, but a very not mature person. And actually, the radio stations that I worked at throughout my 20s, there was often a business mum, like there was Carol in Peterborough. And who was there in Northampton? I guess there would have been like Heidi in Northampton. And these were people who had whatever roles they had, but their unofficial role was just looking after the young people and just making sure that the young people were getting good life advice. So if you've got a whole bunch of young people in your business, ask yourself this, who's the business mum? Because by the way, it's not you. You can't be the business mum or the business dad because you're the leader. And that means you, you're you the strict parent. You're the one who is pushing them to get things done. You can't be the business mum and the strict parent. You can't be the good cop and the bad cop in one package. It doesn't work like that. You need someone who is not the leader, not the boss, but someone with a relative amount of maturity and experience. And so, you know, that's going to be someone over the age of 30, definitely someone who's married, definitely someone who's had kids, because just going through all of that gives them a level of maturity that we don't have in our 20s. So if you have a lot of young people in your business, the next time you're hiring for a role, ask yourself, how can I get an older person in? How can I get a mom in? And I, I do think women are better at this role than men. It is, I think, that motherly uh, tendency. I'm not being positively sexist here. It's just an observation from having done this within my business. But it's something to very much keep top of mind the next time you're hiring for a future role. Paul's blatant plug. We talk about lots of different things on this podcast. And did you know you can get direct support from me personally implementing all of this stuff in your business and it's completely free? you can join me in my community. It's a Facebook group just for MSPs and it's about MSP marketing. We tend to talk about business growth stuff as well. We've got more than 1,600 MSPs already in there. Why not come and join us? Grab your phone right now, fire up the Facebook app, go into the search bar at the top and type in MSP marketing. Just make sure you go over to groups and you should see my little face. Prod my face with your finger and you can apply to join that group. Now, please don't do that if you're a vendor because this is a vendor-free zone, but MSPs are very welcome to come and discuss marketing in the MSP Marketing Facebook group. The Big Interview. Hi, I'm Schwebel here. I am the founder and CEO of As A Service. It is a business founded specifically to support MSPs, help them deliver better service to their customers reduce their overhead and increase their operational ability. Look at you getting a pitch right in at the start of the interview. That's, that's, that deserves a round of applause. That does. That's very good. So look, we're going to come back and talk about as a service later on because uh, it is a new-ish venture for you. I know you've been up and running for some time and yeah. uh, and, and you, you're, you're trying to bring something new to an established market. And that's kind of interesting and I want to talk about that. But before we do, I want to talk yes. about the differences between UK MSPs US MSPs and in fact MSPs all around the world. Now I work with MSPs. I've got MSPs on our MSP Marketing Edge. Uh, I think in I think we're in about fifteen different countries now. So predominantly we're uh, UK and US. That's where the bulk of our clients are. But we we do see massive differences. Uh, between the countries. Now, you've you've worked in several different countries, and you you indeed yourself you you work with MSPs in other countries. Yeah. What kind of differences do you see in the way that MS, MSPs work around the world? Yeah, it's, it's a great start to get into it. Um, I think the key difference for me is the maturity level in MSPs, particularly here in the UK slash London, uh, versus certainly the East Coast of the US. Um, 
MSPs operating in, in, in London, in, in specific, are far more mature in the services they deliver to their clients. Um, if I look back to what MSPs did 15, 20 years ago, it was a very simple service. Something was broken, you fixed it. A customer needed a new project deployed. You, you deployed it. And that's where the, where the service stopped. Um, you know, and, and how you build for that service varied from MSP to MSP. Some, some on fixed cost, uh, some would profit out of customers by, by charging an hourly rate when things went wrong. Um, but MSPs in the UK have progressed significantly since those early days. Uh, in the US, surprisingly, not so much. Culturally, it is very different out there. Um, I find that MSPs are not as nimble and as quick uh, in everything they do, service delivery and everything else. Um, but also the services they offer, services around you know, virtual CIOs, strategy, business analysis, it just doesn't seem to exist on that side yeah. of the pond. Uh, and, yeah. and it's not to say that MSPs are not aware that they should be delivering this. They're just slightly behind the curve. So they're not in that maturity level. Uh, as, as their UK counterparts are. Yeah. Now, I, sh- I should clarify that nothing you're saying here is intended to be offensive to any MSP no, anywhere. No, no, no. And the only reason I'm clarifying that is as, as I'm listening to your answer, I'm thinking this is this is really interesting. Uh, however, it, it, it isn't meant to be offensive. It's, it's showing how actually companies with, with you know, the same name, the same the same title of this is what we do is actually completely different in, in different countries. You know, we, we've noticed that, that UK MSPs operate in a completely different way to within the US. Um, a lot of that is actually to do, we, we, we see with billing. So in the, in the UK, they, MSPs don't seem to be able to charge as much per user as MSPs in the US do. Yes. Um, what, what do you think causes all of this disparity? Because everyone's essentially doing the same, the same kind of work and yeah. working with, with the same kind of end clients. So what causes such disparity between the countries? I think number one are the market conditions out there. Um, I've got a couple of clients out in, in Manhattan, and it's just the cost of service out there is significantly larger than it is in, um, in London. Equally, the salaries out there are, are as high. But again, if you're looking at the US East Coast and you compare DC, uh, Washington DC to, to, to New York, again, it's very, very different. So one other market conditions out there, you know, the, the revenue generated by, by businesses out there and what they're willing to pay for, for services. Um, but the variance is jaw dropping to, to give you more of an indication, Paul. I would benchmark a per seat cost roughly in, in London at about, you know, 60 pounds per user slash per device. In New York, that's north of $150. So, which is, you know, which is, a, is more than double, isn't it? That's more than double 60 yeah, exactly. pounds. Yeah, exactly. when, you, when you compare the um, currencies. And, and here's, here's the kicker. MSPs out there are in the enviable position of, of charging more for doing less. And, and while the market is saturated out there, it's not as saturated um, as it is in London. So there's a lot of opportunity out there. And coming to your point earlier about MSPs taking offense, I don't think any of, any of the, the, the MSPs out there would um, because this is not news to them. Um, a lot of them are aware. So I was I was actually in New York um, two three weeks back, uh, meeting some prospective clients and, and meeting my clients out there. And everything that we are discussing now uh, was said to them, and it's not news to them. Um, you know, they are wise to the fact that they are behind the curve. Um, but instead of you know instead of sulking and going, oh God, what what are we doing wrong? Um, the right MSPs are seeing it as opportunity. Going, here's an opportunity to offer services that we don't before and monetize those services over and above the, the, the margins we already make.
Yeah, that's that's really interesting. It's funny you you said earlier uh, you said that that those MSPs, uh, particularly in that that kind of New York area, are charging more to do less. And I should think there's there's quite a lot of people listening to this going sort of nodding their heads, going, mm, "That's a, that's a good business model. I like this <laughs> that business model." Um, but th- you've actually kind of predicted my next question, which was where you where you've got a, a bunch of MSPs who are perfectly aware that they are a little bit behind the curve in terms of what the market is demanding from them and what they're delivering, that creates opportunity. So are you already seeing some MSPs, you know, take a proactive step and saying, right, we need to up our game? Yes and no. So I'm seeing, I'm seeing, I spent probably a couple of weeks ago, I spent a week there and I must have met anywhere north of 20 to 25 MSPs that week. Uh, And some of them are seeing that opportunity. Um, some of them, are, uh, some of them are seeing that opportunity to monetize it in the wrong way, because you know you could easily get this wrong. Um, you, you could see that opportunity and try to profit of it, but then come across as an uh, as an MSP that's just trying to price gouge their customers, uh, which some of them sadly did did use that approach. Um, others saw this as an opportunity to deliver more service within the cost they were doing. So looking out for the customer, uh, realizing that you know they were charging a fair amount, but not delivering the service uh, in line with the cost. Um, and one of the things they looked at was just client services. So if I look at MSPs here in, in London, uh, every reputable MSP has a client service team or an account management team doing QBRs and checking in with the customers and, and, and making sure that the non-technical side of the delivery is on point. Um, in New York, not so much. Uh, specifically with the smaller MSPs, sub five $5 million revenue owner, owner run and, and managed. Um, the trend I saw there were the owners doing that side of the business, doing the account management, doing the client services, um, which then left them less focus on the important sides of the business, revenue generation, customer experience, making sure that from a direction point of view, they were selling the right technology stack and, and building their business. And I'm sure that'll resonate with a lot of the smaller MSPs listening in, um, is that the owners tend to get stuck in the weeds when delivering service and, and not enough focus on, on, on the important parts of the business. Yeah. So I saw a lot of that out there in New York, um, less so here, here in, in London and the UK. Yeah. So here's an interesting question for you. Uh, in a few mm-hmm. weeks' time in the podcast, we, we will have a guest called Harold Mann. Now, I know this because I actually recorded my interview with Harold yesterday. Sometimes okay. I, we, I record these interviews out of we, – we, we work so far ahead on the podcast. We're recording interviews right. all the time, and it's not unusual for me to record an interview that isn't broadcast for three to four months. One of the things that Harold Mann is going to say in a few weeks' time – he's based in San Francisco – is he right. used the opportunity of the, the very first lockdown back in March, April 2020. He used that as an opportunity to change the way he did uh, service for his clients. So essentially, they, they completely stopped doing, I'm spoiling the interview now, He, uh, he completely they completely stopped doing any on-site work at all. And he also used it as an opportunity to start to hire people who would very rarely come into the office. So rather than just having a small band of techs available to him in the San Francisco area, he now has theoretically techs the whole world over, you know, available to him. And lots of MSPs have gone down this route in the last couple of years. So with that in mind, with the fact that you can now hire techs anywhere, and also you can genuinely support clients 
clients anywhere. You know, we've, you've always been able to remotely support clients, but it was really that lockdown that kind of made it okay for the clients <laughs> from their point of view that it was okay to just have remote work. Do you think, and, and I'm asking you to look in your crystal ball here, if you go forward five, 10 years, do you see sort of the, 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 the MSP services offered around the world, all kind of leveling out because you could have a company in Manhattan that could hire an MSP in London to look after it. They no longer need to go to not, not even just a New York company, but, but not even a US company, but they, they could just go international from day one. Yeah, yes and no. It's actually interesting. You, you ask this question. One of the MSPs I'm working out there with, uh, he's Manhattan based. He's been, he's been based in Manhattan for 10, 12 years. The owner himself doesn't live in Manhattan. Um, he lives further out um, near, near Long Island. And he's got a really nice office, probably one of the better offices I saw out there. And, and when I visited him, he said, you know, this is, this is really bizarre. It's the first time in, I think he said, seven or eight months he's actually been into the office. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, he's talking to me. I mean, these are stars to plug my business, but he's talking to me about the sourcing uh, engineers from, from abroad, and that's something I'm, I'm helping him um, with. But I think there's another element to this. It's the services that are consumed by, by MSP clients. Um, and, and one of the things that I think a lot of MSPs were um, quietly grateful for during the lockdowns um, that we had over the last few years is that it prompted their clients to take advice that they were offering to their clients years before, specifically on getting rid of on-premise uh, infrastructure and going to the cloud. And once your client is heavily cloud-based, then yes, you can uh, support that client from anywhere anywhere in the world. If I look forward uh, into the crystal ball in 10 years, I, I can very well see uh, a, a client in New York supported by an MSP in, in Asia, in, in Africa, in, in the UK. But I don't think we will ever completely negate the requirement for an on-premise engineer, um, mm-hmm. you know, somebody to roll, their, roll up their sleeves and go to site um, for two reasons. Uh, one is, you know, if the internet's down and you can't get an IP, you can't, you know, you need somebody on site. But two, from a client service point of view, um, there has to be that physical presence checking in with a customer or be technical or non-technical um, because I think that's the differentiator in the, in the service is MSPs are, are, you know, what we sell are hours and time. It's, it's very service driven. Um, and when you are selling a service to a customer and, and nobody, nobody's ever there to check in with them physically, mm-hmm. uh, and we saw this over, over, over COVID lockdowns, uh, you know, Teams meetings, Google meet, meetings, somebody always on mute, uh, as always a standard. Um, but, but the thing that everyone I spoke to went, you know what? Our day-to-day work, sitting behind a PC, closing tickets, writing up strategy docs, all of that sort of stuff. Yes, you can absolutely do that remotely. There's no reason for anyone to be sat in front of a PC or a Mac at an office doing that. But the meetings, the interactions, the collaboration, that still needs to be in person. Yeah. So yeah. I can very much see MSPs supporting clients abroad. Um, but what I'm seeing a lot of is in conjunction with MSPs that are, that are in territory. So they would use the kind of remote hands and feet of a, of a partner MSP 
Um, and there's, there's actually businesses out now that are building out those networks to be able to facilitate that sort of support model. Yeah, which leads very nicely to my final question, which is about what you have created. So you've created a business called As a Service. Tell us what it is. Tell us what you do for MSPs. And finally, tell us how we can get in touch with you. In my past life, uh, I took an MSP from 14 people uh, making less than a 200 grand a year is 150 to 50 people and we would touch over 50 uh, 50 million i wish five five million pounds revenue uh, i exited the business a few few years ago um but the game changer for us where we saw profitability soar and, and operational costs dropped uh came through a, a happy coincidence um you know, one of one of the senior people in the business uh, was married to a, a South African woman. Wise, wise choice. I'm South African, as you can tell by the accent. I don't know where this is. Um, and she wanted to move back to South Africa. Um, so he, he went along with her and he ran what is effectively was our, our NOC, our systems team, as, as we called it. And, and we realized you know, very quickly that you, you didn't need to be in London to be able to, to patch servers and check backup status and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so he built a little team out in South Africa um, doing exactly what he did in London. Uh, and, and this was the kicker. We realized that what we were paying for a junior engineer in London, we were getting a highly qualified highly experienced senior engineer in South Africa for the same or even less. Um, so we then decided, you know what, let's start picking up a few tickets out in South Africa and that snowballed. And we started running our entire service desk out there. Uh, and then we started doing our kind of account management administration out there. And again, coming back to the operational cost, huge reduction, but we managed to staff up. And as, as, as many MSPs will know, it's very chicken and egg. You want to get new business, but in order to get new business, you need to make sure that operationally you are able to support those businesses. So then you hire in engineers and then you've got the overhead of um, paying these engineers and, and, and looking after them. And if that new business doesn't come, you know, you could, you could very, very quickly see your profitability erode and, and your business start to, to falter. This allowed us to staff up quite significantly with very, very minimal cost. And that's the business uh, I, I'm, I've, I've put together, offering MSPs that, that ability using my network out in South Africa, um, offering them support desk uh, services out in South Africa, knock services out in South Africa um, at a fraction of the cost that it would cost them in, in London and New York. Uh, I think what differentiates me though from competitors is the service element. I offer a client service and strategy as a service as well, uh, hence, hence the name. Uh, again, at, at what I would like to call a knockdown cost, um, you know, it's cheaper uh, than hiring service uh, managers out in, in London or, or New York. And that's the crux of as a service. We offer support desk, knock and client services as a service. Um, so the MSPs don't have the overhead of, of employing and managing staff. Number one, we do all of that for them. But number two, it costs significantly less. Okay. And uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, the website is a service.support. 
uh, all our details are on there. Um, you can have a read on, on what we do, how we do it, and, and speak to us via the website. Fantastic. Right, you and I are now going to jump over to YouTube, where we're going to continue our extended interview. So there's a number of things I want to pick up uh, from sure. this interview. So I want to look at how you got that, that MSP that you were that you were in, that you joined, which had, I think you said, 14 staff, and you left when you left, it had 50 staff. I want to explore exactly what you did to grow that. Sure. I also want to yeah. have a look at why you started this new business. You know, <laughs> many people get out of, the, of an MSP and the last thing on their mind is doing more, <laughs> you know, more of the same. So we'll explore why you've done that. And it'd be interesting as well to look at cultural differences. So you said that you, you've essentially got outsourced knocks, um, which I assume means that there's, there's not so much uh, help desk uh, um, support for, for end users, for, for the end decision makers. But it'd be interesting to look at, at cultural differences because as we all know, different people in different countries act uh, and think uh, differently. And it's it's sometimes can be a challenge for us sort of meshing those together. So you and I are going to continue that conversation right now at youtube.com slash MSP Marketing. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. This week's recommended book. Hey guys, my name is Nick Rubright. I'm from New Reach Marketing. And the book I'd recommend is Your Life Isn't For You, A Selfish Person's Guide to Being Selfless. A lot of marketing comes down to giving to the other person. I found it helpful to remove myself from my own selfishness to come up with better marketing campaigns that are more designed around giving to the prospect rather than selfish gain. Coming up next week. Hi, I'm Cassandra Morgan. I am an award-winning author and the HR manager for an MSP. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about why you should write your own MSP book and how you can harness the power of your expertise in your community. Do subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast so you never miss an episode. That was Cassandra Morgan. She's going to be here next week, and she's a published author and a coach to other authors, but she also works at an MSP, so she understands our world, and we'll discuss next week why books are some of the most powerful marketing tools that you can use. We're also going to be talking about using live calendars to be more efficient with your technician's time and how to think like a prospect. I've got a very clever tactic for you to help you get in the mindset of the ordinary business owners and managers that you want to reach. Now, we have a ton of extra content on YouTube. We've got the extended interview from this week. That's already there now. And on Thursday, we'll be publishing the latest episode of Another Bite. It's our YouTube show about this podcast. All of that at youtube.com slash MSP marketing. Join me next Tuesday and have a very profitable week in your MSP. Made in the UK for MSPs around the world. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast.